0: Mark 15, 38, the veil of the temple was torn into from top to bottom. Um, so first of all, we need to kind of we're gonna do a deep dive into this topic of the veil being torn into. We're gonna we're gonna discover kind of all about it and, and figure out what it means for you and for me today in 2021. Uh, we've made it through 2020 and we're in 2021. We're going to find out what this verse would mean for us today. But in order for us to do that, we have to go way back in time and we have to discover all the different parts and pieces of why things were the way that they were. First of all, what was the temple? There was this veil in the temple, but we got we to understand what, way back in time, what was the temple? Well, the temple was a place where God had built uh, established a place for man to meet with him. It was a place for people to meet with God and have a relationship with him. Now, you might think, and I've definitely had the thought, well, man, it would be really nice if we had a temple today where we could just go and have a sit-down meeting with God, you know, a good heart-to-heart and talk with him. Um Well, it, it wasn't as good as maybe you think, or maybe it wasn 't as cracked uh, as good as it was cracked up to be, um, this temple was a place where man could meet with God, but you see there was there were several problems that we are going to get into, and that that the access between God and the people it was very limited uh, it was basically just one day a year one representative of all men was able to come into god 's presence in order to have that personal connection and relationship with him. Uh, not very good. We actually have something much, much better today. And it's actually better that there's no temple today. And we'll find out about that later as we as we dive into it. But this temple served all the people of the world. And remember, there wasn't nearly as many people in the world back then. But all, this one temple served all the people who wanted to meet with God. They knew that there was a temple in Jerusalem that they could go to if they wanted to to serve God wanted to uh, you know bring a sacrifice uh say they were sorry for their sins anything that they wanted to do they could they could come to this temple in Jerusalem and every hint every detail of the temple was a hint. To its purpose, so you have you have a, a bowl, you have an altar, you have candles, you have bread, and we 've gone through all of those little details and how every single one of those little details points to this relationship that God wanted to have with people, and all that God would do to make that happen, and also the temple served as a foreshadow, a picture of what Jesus would be, what he would accomplish, what he would do, and what he would provide for all the people who do want a relationship with God. Uh, so the first question is, what is the temple? Well, there's a, there's a picture there on our screen about what the temple is. Uh, the second question we'll ask is, why was there a veil in the temple in the first place? So our verse says that there was a veil in the temple, and, and this was a built-in lesson. As they built the temple, they they put this veil in, and the lesson was, okay, so the veil was, um, here, let me show you a picture of what the veil was. If you look at this picture here, uh, you can see right in the the middle part, this big purple with these gold things on it, this was uh, the veil that separated the two big portions or rooms in the temple. And so it separated these two rooms, one the room on the outside where the doors are on the right of our picture was called the Holy place, and then the room way in the back, where the Ark of the Covenant is, was called the Holy of Holies, so the holy place was really holy, but then the Holy of Holies was the place where the Ark of the Covenant was, and that's where God actually dwelled there would be a a light. There would be his presence. There would be glory. There would be smoke and almost like fire right above that Ark of the Covenant between the two angels that are that are in golden uh, encrusted there. And uh and God would dwell there. His presence would literally be there. You could if you went in there, you would be in God's presence. But the lesson that the veil taught us is that don't you don't you don't just walk into God's presence. You can't, uh, especially back then. You see that the lesson is that man is technically separated or barred from the presence of God. Um so this veil was right there. Now let's 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 talk about the veil. Here in our picture it's kind of purple. What we what we know about the veil is that it was made from fine woven linen, okay? It was perfect and spotless. Okay, there was not; they were not allowed to let it get dirty or anything like that. And that, of course, speaks of who else is perfect and spotless? Jesus, right? The second thing we know from history and from the Old Testament about the veil is that it was made of blue and purple and scarlet uh, threads, and it, it had all these different details made of those colors and. Uh, We've studied all these colors before and what they signify. And blue signifies heaven, speaking of heavenly things. Uh, Royal uh, purple is the color of royalty, Uh, speaking of a king. And uh, scarlet or red uh, speaks of blood and a blood sacrifice. What do all three of those things? Who came from heaven? Who's the king? And who gave a blood sacrifice? All three of those things point directly to. Uh, Jesus. And this veil was hung, like I said, right in front of the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. And that is where God dwelled, his presence was, and this veil protected all the people who were on the outside of this room from being killed by God's holiness. That's right. Being killed by God's holiness. Now, there's a there's a movie that you've probably seen called Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost uh, Ark. No, Ark of the Co- No Raiders of the Lost. It's Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I don't know why I just had a brain fade on that. Anyway, uh, in that movie, you know the the Nazis find the Ark of the Covenant. They open it up and and they uh, to put it mildly are killed by uh some supernatural force and what's interesting is that is kind of based on truth uh the ark of the covenant where god's presence would dwell um his presence is holy and that he is so holy that sinners cannot be in his presence and, and it's if you think about that, and this veil that covered it and protected it, it's a lot like Jesus had a body that contained the glory of God, and, but it protected us. His body protected us from being killed by that glory. Um, and Jesus brought us into God's presence, even though we were sinners, by containing that glory in his flesh, he kind of made it a secret. He came as a human. And we see some glimpses where he let that glory gl- kind of leak out on the Mount of Transfiguration. You know, they saw his glory. Um, and, and after he rises from the dead, we see him in glory. But um, but he was able to bring the glory of God and a relationship with God to us, just like this veil Allowed us to have a relationship with God even though His holiness should and could kill us instantly. So the lesson of this veil is that man is separated from God and barred from His presence. And um so, so the priest would come and they would um they would do things in the outer room that was called the holy place and they would be safe and protected from God's presence, even though they were still sinners. So let me explain what this means. God is holy. And that word holy means there's no sin, no spots, no anything wrong with him. But the truth is we are not holy. We have sinned. And uh, and so just the basic principle of the universe is that what is holy cannot let what is not holy into its presence or it won't be holy anymore. God is so holy, he cannot even lay his eyes upon something that is not holy without it being destroyed. He's so pure that he cannot look on things that are not pure without them being destroyed. It's like um, like a clean room. Can't let germs in or it won't be a clean room anymore. It becomes a dirty room, right? Or pure water, like a pure water source, like a well or spring, it can't have contamination from something gross, some dead body or zombie or something, that would defile it. It's not a pure source anymore. Or think of a wedding dress. Could you imagine a wedding dress You know, a bride eating some tomato soup right before a wedding and spills and gets a giant stain on her wedding dress. It's it's basically not a wedding dress anymore because a wedding dress needs to be pure. And this is how God's holiness works. He is holy and he cannot be in the presence of or tarnished by anything that is not holy. But this is a problem because God loves us. He wants us to be in his presence. He he cares about us. He wants us to live with him. He wants us to be with him. He loves us. And so he has provided a way to still meet with us. And that's why we have this veil is because God loves us, but it's true that we're still sinners. So we had to make a veil so that we wouldn't be killed until there would be some solution made where we would not be sinners anymore, where our unholiness could be washed away. And so once a year, a high priest would enter the presence of God on a day called Yom Kippur. And on that day, the priest would make all these sacrifices and they would sprinkle blood all over him and all over the sacrifices and all over the things in the altar, in the temple, and then the priest would the priest would bring some of that blood and he would sprinkle it on in he would come into God's presence sprinkle it on the ark of the covenant and he would have a he would be able to stand in God's presence because of blood because of blood not just any blood special blood from a spotless lamb and that was a foreshadow of who Jesus would eventually be the spotless lamb for us so that's the history of this Veil. There are stories of high priests going in behind the veil and uh, not placing their faith in God, not having the blood, being immoral, and they would they would fall down dead immediately. And it, it, there are there are even stories that they would tie a rope around the high priest's ankle so that if he went in and dropped down dead, they would be able to get his body out without it just rotting in there and defiling the, the temple any more than it already had. Um, so let's, let's get back to our verse now, and let's analyze it and see what we can discover in it. So Mark 15.38 says that the veil of the temple that we just studied, and we understand both those items, was torn in two from top to bottom. So, um, so the veil was torn in two from top to bottom. Okay, now that what that means very easily is that God did it. God did this, not man. Okay, no human could rip this veil, this veil. I tried to find a picture to to symbolize this or to show you guys this. But this veil was 18 inches thick. Now, imagine trying to rip. You know, you've seen those guys, those strong men trying to rip a, a phone book you know, which at most is maybe three inches, two inches, three inches thick. Imagine trying to rip something that's 18 inches thick. Um, No human obviously could do this. Um, And obviously it's 30 feet tall. That is three stories tall. And it was ripped right in half from top to bottom. And the only conclusion is only God could do this. If man had made the way to God, into God's presence, then this veil would have been torn from bottom to top. But it's not. It's torn from top to bottom. This veil was uh, ripped uh, from the top as if God uh, reached his hands down from the sky and took hold of it and opened it up, showing us. That the death of Jesus, his beloved son, had met every righteous claim that we needed in order to come into God's presence. God is saying it is It is finished. Now, what just happened, and I, I didn't reference this at the beginning, but we've been going verse by verse through Mark for a long time now. And what we just studied last week was Jesus died on the cross. He finished his work on the cross. And we learned a, a, a Greek word, tetelestai. And that was our Greek word of the week, tetelestai. And does anyone remember what that word meant? It was a word that you would hear and you would see printed on receipts back in that day. And it was it was used in trading and stuff. And when someone paid their bill, they would mark that receipt with the words tetelestai, which meant paid in full. Paid in full. And when Jesus died, the last thing he said was, die it is finished, or it has been paid in full. And today, the first thing that happens, God accepts Jesus' payments, Jesus dies, and God reaches down from heaven. He takes the veil and he tears it in two. He tears it up showing us that what Jesus did worked. Jesus got rid of the veil or the separation between man that God loves and God himself who is holy. Now this is so deep and this is so amazing and marvelous. Uh, Let's look uh, at at another intriguing thing. This veil was torn in the middle. It was torn right down the middle. Uh, In other words, what we're seeing here is that God did not make a side entrance for you. There's a way that's been provided straight into the presence of God, the, the, to stand before God, to bring your life to Him. And it is the shortest way possible. There's no obstacle left. God removed every obstacle. Which brings us to our next detail that we notice, that the veil was torn completely. Completely. The veil was torn from top to bottom, the veil was torn in the middle, and the veil was torn completely. It was torn, not a thread was left to get in your way to approach God. Jesus said it was finished. The work was completed. Jesus Jesus didn't say it is finished except for the last three inches that you need to cut with some scissors that you need to take care of. No, when the Lamb of God was sacrificed, there is no other work that needs to be done for you, God's beloved child, to come into his presence. Every single thread of difficulty has been removed. Every single thread of separation has been removed. All of God's mercy is available to anyone, any person, who would come through the blood and broken body of Jesus. Any person may come that way. God is offering every single sinner grace through this sacrifice. Every single person. doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. It doesn't matter how hard you've been or how disinterested. You are being called now. God is saying, come to me. Do not run away. You don't need to. Jesus has done everything that was needed to provide a way for you to get to God. There is salvation in no other name. Jesus says that. There is salvation in no other name. There's no other religion. There's no other savior. There's no one else that provided the way, that tore the veil, that separated man from the real, real deal dangerous, holy presence of God. Only Jesus did this. There's no need anymore for any priest. For all we need to do is simply call upon the name of Jesus and you will be saved. God has made the priesthood irrelevant, the priesthood of man. There is now one priest truly, and it is Jesus, who brings us straight into the presence of God himself. Now, if we're we're really diving deep, we're going to look at what the other Gospels say about this same event. And in Matthew's Gospel, uh, he reveals two things that we learn that are very interesting. He says that the veil was torn. He also says from top to bottom. And he says there was a great earthquake and there was a resurrection of many saints who had fallen asleep. So, Somehow, a bunch of Old Testament saints like Abraham and Isaac and Joseph and all these guys, who knows who, but we're just told a bunch of them, they were resurrected and they were seen walking around the streets of Jerusalem. And this, of course, freaked everybody out because these are dead people walking. And there was an earthquake. Now, earthquakes, like darkness which we had just seen and we'd studied, are often associated in the Bible with the presence of God. When God shows up, a lot of times there is an earthquake. Also, the power to raise the dead only belongs to God himself. And so both of these two signs that happen at this moment when the veil is torn, they both show us what's going to happen three days later when Jesus rises from the dead. You see, when Jesus rises from the dead three days later, there's another earthquake, and Jesus rises from the dead. So the moment Jesus dies, there's an earthquake and resurrection happening, and the moment Jesus rises from the dead, there's an earthquake and resurrection happening. And these, these, uh, you know, these signs demonstrate that life after death is only possible because of what Jesus did on the cross, how he died on the cross, how he paid the price to tell us die for our sins on the cross and made this way tore the veil. And so if we keep diving, we see that there's four different uh, signs that, of the presence of God at the death of at, at, at the cross. OK, that God was there. We see the, these four miracles that could that could not be explained by anything except for God and his power and his presence. The first was the darkness that covered the land. We know it could not have been an um, eclipse because Passover always happened on a full moon, and so the moon can't be between the earth and the sun when it's a full moon because it's on the other side of the earth. So there was a supernatural darkness that showed God's presence. There was the veil being torn in two, then there was the earthquake, then there was the resurrection of the Old Testament saints and those people walking around the streets of Jerusalem. Now, we're going to compare this with another time when God's presence showed up on this earth. Way back at Mount Sinai, when God showed up to Moses and to the children of Israel, after he had freed them from Egypt and and they had walked through the Red Sea and, and God had done all these miraculous signs to lead them out, then they he leads them to this mountain called Mount Sinai, and they show up, um, they they, uh, they show up there at the mountain, and God Himself appears. Now, he, he's surrounded by clouds, but there's lightning and thunder and all kinds of stuff. So we're going to kind of compare what we just saw where Jesus died on the cross and the four things that we saw um, to what we see uh, in Sinai, at, at Mount Sinai. Well, at Mount Sinai, there was an earthquake, it says. There was a great earthquake. There was stormy darkness. So this darkness, just like the darkness that we saw uh, over the whole land, and uh, and it's very, very interesting what happened on that day. So the, the purpose of this presence, God was introducing himself personally to the people and to Moses, and he was giving them something called the law. He was giving them the law, and this was going to be the basis of their relationship with him for the next couple thousand years until Jesus would come. And because God was giving a law, he was showing the people that they were sinful and what his standards were and his standards are perfection if you follow those 10 commandments you are perfect but no one can do that. We've all sinned and fallen short of that glory of God and so this the 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 he gave this law and so that necessitates that he also give a veil Okay, so the first veil that we see is the veil over Moses' face. And then as God continues to teach them and to invite them into his presence, he sets up a tabernacle. And in that tabernacle is a veil that separates his presence from the people. And then as they get into the land, they build a temple. And in the temple, there's another veil. There's always a veil. And this veil always separates God from the people, as long as there is a law. The law is given first. And the law necessitates that there is a veil. Because if you know the law, then you know you're a sinner and you know that you're separated from God. This is the problem. This is a wonderful problem that has a wonderful solution. This law that that God gave the first time that he showed up to the people in in, uh, Sinai there in Egypt. What happened on that day is 3,000 people died. 3,000 people died the day that God gave the law. Remember, Moses came down the mountain and he saw the people were dancing naked around a calf and worshiping, you know, this golden calf and saying, this is the God that led us out of Egypt. And Moses is like, guys, such a mess. And it says that 3,000 people died on that day being, you know, because of an earthquake and being swallowed up in the earth, the crazy stuff. Now, what happened a few thousand years later is that Jesus would come. There was also darkness. There was also an earthquake. But this time, instead of the veil being given, instead of a veil being established, instead of the separation being established, the opposite happens. This time, the veil is torn. This time, you know, at the first time the law and its penalties were given by God, but this time when Jesus came, the law, all of our breaking of the law is forgiven. We are forgiven for, by what Jesus did, by the lawgiver. He doesn't throw away the law. The law still is the law. It can still tell us that we stink at being good people. It can still tell us how far short we fall. But what Jesus did when he died on the cross is he forgave, truly forgave, all our transgression, all of our sin. Everything we've done to break God's law. So at Sinai, law was given. At Calvary, law breaking was forgiven. Forgiven. So let's reset. Let's think again. Jesus dies on the cross, and the very next thing that happens is amazing. The veil is, ro- is torn in two. Again, in Matthew's gospel, he says this very neat word that we're going to learn. This is Greek word of the day for this week. Is uh, edou. Edou, idou, idou, i d o u. In Matthew's gospel, he simply writes this and. Behold or Edu Edu, the veil of the temple was rent in two from top to bottom. The word behold or edu in Greek is a very difficult word to translate because it carries a a, a feeling with it of intense emotion. Intense emotion the King James Version most often translates it as BEHOLD! Uh, But in our contemporary world, it might better be translated WOW! Or OMG! Or dude! Or check it out! Or I found a picture that I think kind of demonstrates what it would be and that's, my, that's what I think. If, if a picture was Edu, that's what the picture would be. Instead of Grogu, it's Edu. Maybe that would have been a cuter name for him, actually. My wife doesn't like Grogu, but that's okay. So think about this face. Think about this emotion of shock and awe and amazement and wow, wow. And that's what Matthew tries to express to us when he writes, Guys, you won't believe this. This is absolutely amazing. But the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Why was this so amazing? Especially for you and for me today here in 2021 in January. Why is it so amazing? And what are we missing when we read the veil was torn into, a lot of times we're just like, nah, you know, great. But this is truly shocking business. This is absolutely amazing. And in Hebrews chapter 10, we get an explanation. And I'm just going to read to you that scripture and kind of briefly break it down so that we can understand why it's so amazing for us. But the writer of Hebrews in chapter 10, verse 19 through 23, Hebrews 10, 19 through 23, he says, he says this. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest, that's that place we talked about, the holy of holies, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. So here we learn that the veil represents the body of Christ. And having a high priest over the household of God, let us draw near. That's the that's the instruction. That's what we're supposed to do with all this. With a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled. Remember, the high priest would sprinkle that blood before he went in. He says, our hearts can be sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who is promised is faithful. This is what the writer of Hebrews says is amazing. Wow, dude, check it out. He says, first of all, we have boldness to enter God's presence right into the mercy seat. Now, what do we do at the mercy seat? We get mercy. And who among us does not need God's mercy? God's forgiveness, God's grace, and God's help, we find all of those things that we need from God in God's presence, and he says you can have boldness. Boldness. That is something that is rare in our world. Most people are very timid and shy, and especially when it comes to God, they don't want to, they're afraid But what Jesus did for us on the cross and this veil being torn, he says, should give us boldness. You can walk right into God's presence and say, I'm coming, not because I'm worthy, not because I'm great, not because I'm awesome, but because of what Jesus did for me. And I can boldly say it worked for me. It's worth it for me. I can come into God's presence. Why? Because the blood of Jesus has washed me clean. He says, you can enter by the blood of Jesus only. That's the only way to actually come in through this veil, through the blood of Jesus. You can't depend on anything else. You can't depend on that you went to church every day growing up. You can't depend that your parents knew Jesus. You can't depend on that you really, really want it, or you really, really think you're a good person, or you really, really think you're better than Hitler, None of those things work. Only the one thing of the blood of Jesus actually works. Then he says, real quickly, he says, it's a new way. That's so awesome. Because the old way has passed away. The old way of having to kill lambs and sheep and having to wash and having to do all these physical things and having a priest, that's all done away with. It's a new way. And then he says, it's a, uh, a living way. You know, wow, check it out. This isn't an old, dead religion. This is a new, living relationship where Jesus has done everything for you and he invites you to come and know him, know the Father, and have life. It's a living way. If your relationship with God, if your religion, if your church going is dead, there is something wrong. It's supposed to be alive, alive with the fruits of the Spirit, alive with his joy and peace alive he says we enter through the veil he says that we have a high priest there's no more man priest that you need to go through we have jesus and he is the high priest he's the only priest that we have to deal with and he is nothing but inviting us to coming in, to come into his father's presence through believing in his own sacrifice he's not pointing out all your flaws he took care of your flaws he dealt with your flaws And he says, so what should we do? We should draw near. We should draw near. And this is convicting when we spend so much time not drawing near. We waste so much of our life choosing to be distant from God when we don't have to be. I don't have to spend time on my own. I can spend my time. I can redeem the time by spending it with my God near to him. That is what we have been invited to do. It is not a burden to draw near to God. Jesus has borne the entire burden for you, and he invites you to freely enter God's presence with a true heart. It's not fake, he says. There's nothing fake about this. And he says, Edu, wow, check this out. This is amazing, guys. Jesus has torn the veil. You can come with a a true heart and full assurance of faith, you don't ever have to worry about your failures again. You don't ever have to worry that there is something standing between you and God again, even if you have just sinned. You run. You turn around and you run right into God's presence and you say, God, forgive me. God, I I'm, I accept the invitation to come into your presence, to be washed clean, and to enjoy my father-son relationship with you again. He says that your hearts are sprinkled and an evil conscience is fixed and that our bodies are washed. Even our bodies, Jesus says, this works for. Our bodies in this physical world, even though we've done bad things with our bodies, even though we've sinned with our bodies, God says Jesus' blood even cleanses everything our bodies have done. You are forgiven as a full person. Every part of you is invited into God's very presence you will not be destroyed, you will not be killed because you are now holy as He is holy, by the work Jesus did for you. This is all about his work and his faithfulness, not ours, and that's because we couldn't, we couldn't tear the veil, only God could. when Jesus said to I it is finished, we get to say, "You do, wow." Behold what God has wrought, what God has accomplished for us. The first thing God says when Jesus dies isn't, clean up your act, get your act together, be a better person. The first thing that's said is, edu, just behold, look at what Jesus has done. What he has done will transform and fix everything that was ever broken And it's for you. And all we can do now is praise him, draw near with a full heart of assurance, knowing that he will take care of the problems that we find in our lives. You are loved. Jesus has torn the veil for you. Father, we come right into your presence with full assurance that you forgive us. And if there's anyone who is listening right now who knows that they have never asked you to forgive them of their sins they've never fully put their trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross of Calvary i pray that they would hear your invitation today that they would respond to that invitation god if there's any if there's any heart that is that is being moved right now that is not them And that is not me that is causing that stirring of the heart. That is 1,000% your Holy Spirit moving in their heart. And I pray that each person here would listen and submit to that Holy Spirit. That we would not blaspheme the Spirit. That we would not reject the moving of your Spirit. But we would respond by saying, I will believe What Jesus did for me. I will believe that He paid the price for my sins, and I will take His invitation to come into the presence of God and be a child of God. I will leave behind my life of sin and my uh, plans, and I will be a servant of God as a child should serve a father and should do His will. God, I will do Your will. And I pray that. Through a connection with your Heavenly Father, you will see life poured into you. We were created for this relationship, God, and I pray that every single person who hears my voice can enter into a deep and life-giving relationship with you, and that all of us who know you will take the exhortation, the encouragement to draw near to you this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you all.